Welcome to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. ISFA exists to serve industry professionals involved in the fabrication of manufactured surfacing materials. With each episode, Behind the Surface inspires fabricators to take their business to the next level. Now with your host, Nancy Bush. Hi everyone, I'm Nancy Bush with ISPA, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Installing Profitability series of the Behind the Surface podcast brought to you by our friends at Baca Systems. Today I'm joined by Eric Tryon, who will be discussing job descriptions, recruiting, and interviewing. And Eric has over two and a half decades of professional success as an entrepreneur and founder of Premier Surfaces. A true friend of our industry, Eric serves on the ISPA Board of Directors. And thanks again for once again sharing your experience to help others in our industry. Eric, take it away. Without a doubt, Nancy. By the way, good to see you. Uh, glad to be here. But this topic uh, is really near and dear to my heart, but without a doubt, uh, it is the number one uh, friction point, complaint, uh, whatever bucket you want to call it or tag you want to put on it, uh, challenge that fabricators seem to have. And it's, you know, when you think about this in a big picture perspective, right? The stone is the stone, the equipment is the equipment, but really it's the people inside of our businesses that become the value proposition of what makes these companies go. Right. And, and that is really, you know, the heartbeat of this whole thing. And people kind of miss the mark. And I, I see them miss the mark in a couple of different ways. So this particular topic, I feel like we could spend, you know, literally four or five sessions on. But I know we, we won't do that. So we're going to scratch the surface and get into some, uh, you know, some uh, areas that I see the biggest opportunities for fabricators to, to change what they're doing. And as always, you know, I'm going to talk about practical solutions and I'm going to talk about um, true tested uh, methods and uh, practices of actually making traction inside our business. None of this as, as none of the content that I usually talk about has anything to do with theory. This is, this is proven. This is not to say it's the only way to go about it, but, but from history and experience, uh, I've had success with these practices. So that's what we're going to talk about. So when we, when we take a step back and we look at the people side of our business, I think, you know, right away, the, the area of opportunity uh, is great because you hear people bitching and complaining about it all the time, right? Oh, there's no good people out there and it's just hard to find good people. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep reminding our audience, you know, the, the stone fabrication business is unique in itself. We have this, you know, uh, uh, industry where we're expected to be a sales organization, a manufacturer, uh, a logistics company, a service organization, and, and the list goes on depending on how big you are. Um, you know, so there's a level of codependency by departments that, that exists. And when one department, one person drops the ball, everything goes, goes downhill from there. So it's a pretty big deal. Uh, so it, it's absolutely the number one pain point that I, that I hear people and fabricators talking about. So I think when you look at this, you know, the first question I ask fabricators when they start complaining, uh, and, and having the pity party for themselves is, okay, how much time, effort, and energy are you putting into this? 
You know, is it 100% reactive or are you being intentional? Because when we think about what's at stake, I really do believe it's the people that make the difference. Um, and it starts with the fabric of what that person is. And the uh, circumstances of, of how we go about this process do matter because when we miss the mark, there is a, a big cost associated with it. You know, it's in the form of frustration. It's in the form of turnover. And then you have the hard cost of, you know, you, you've just invested a whole bunch of time, energy and resource into somebody. And here you are back at square one because it didn't work and you're six months down the road and, and we're in the same spot. So um, compared to if you do hit the mark, you know, that can be a game changer. And when you start hitting the mark again and hitting the mark again, and you have all these good success stories and fits, that's when your company becomes um, really scalable, in my opinion, because you have people that you can, you know, delegate with confidence that are going to get the job done and they're going to perform at a very, very high level. So I think the first area we look at is that understanding the value of the people and, and how important that is. And, and the first thing we got to do, as I always say with a lot of things, we got to look in the mirror, right? So if we're not spending the necessary time prepping for this and planning for this, uh, we've got nobody but to blame but ourselves, okay? So we have to take a, accountability and responsibility for that. Uh, and I think it's, you know, when we start talking about recruiting and adding people to our team, uh, not only do most fabricators become very reactive, they just are, you know, it's an afterthought. Oh, somebody's showing up for an interview and I, I wasn't even thinking about it today. And let me just clear off my desk and okay, now I'm ready for you. And that just can't be the, how we go about the process. Not if we're going to have success, because at that point we are just rolling the dice and, and maybe we get lucky and maybe we don't, but uh, the, the chances of you hitting the mark are, are not very, very good. So um, I believe that this all starts with uh, defining the role on the front end. So I think where we start this process of recruiting and, and understanding what we've got to do, most people start with the, the, the person we're interviewing and the people that we're going to go look for. And, and that's, I think, a mistake. I think you got to back up. And I think you have to talk about the role first. Uh, because if we start talking about the role and unpeeling the onion a little bit and say, okay, a manager's job is to make sure that we're, we're assembling the best team possible to do the work at a high level, okay? So if we just take somebody who seems to be nice and seems to be have all the things we want and we put them into a role, but they don't have the skills to do the job, right? That's a miss. And, and the manager's job is to hire the most competent person that's going to deliver and perform, you know, on a daily basis. So. Uh, before we even get to, to a specific person or, or the people side of it, let's look at the actual role. And the best example that I can give from this is the measure tech, right? Um, to me, a templater and a measure tech in the stone fabrication industry is one of the most important positions uh, that a company has. It's pretty obvious why, right? Because if they go about their job and they're not performing at a high level and their, their body of work is just not quality, and they're turning something in that was wrong or it was never going to be right. Think about the cost and the um, kind of uh, expense associated with that poor quality of work, right? Our entire team is building and assembling something that was never going to be right because the template wasn't right. You know, so there's a lot of collateral damage when we start thinking about that. You know, we're spending overtime, we're buying this expensive material, we're 
we're uh, going about this process and, and just stretching our team to, to uh, the nth degree, all for something that was never going to be right. And that's just you know enough to turn your stomach. So when we start talking about a role, and, and if we take into consideration this measure tech, right, what's the most important thing a measure tech has to do for the team to be successful? Pretty obvious, right? The, it's got to be right. It has to be right. There is no compromise, right? So I, I see a lot of these job descriptions and what we're looking for in a person, and they're eight pages long, right? I want the person to be a strong communicator, and I want the person to have a degree in this, and I want the person to have this level of experience, and I want the person you know, to go to church four days a week, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And we're looking for, you know, this purple uniform, you know, and, and when we get so many details into a job description of what we're looking for, it becomes very confusion, uh, con confusing, uh, it becomes very clouded and, and we lack clarity. So um, what I did with my business is we really started with what's the number one and then number two skill set required for this job. And, and people by nature, you know, tend to have skill sets uh, where they feel comfortable and where they're going to deliver and, and perform at a high level. You know, when we don't feel comfortable with something, but we get put into that role, you know, the chance for success is not great, right? So if we start talking about this measure tech, what are the most important skills? And, and you know, for us, it was attention to detail was number one. You know, we needed somebody that wasn't going to take shortcuts. They weren't going to take you know, um, um, any uh, opportunities to do it quicker compared to the, the quality of the work, they are just all about the details. And, and number two was, you know, their quality of work. They, they have to have a level of, of pride and, and a level of, um, of detail that, that it's important to them to get it right. You know, and so the things that are associated with that are, you know, hey, they double check their work. How many times do numbers just get, you know, transposed and, and they don't go back and check it? Or maybe they're using a, a digital templating solution um, and the machine will tell them that the number is this, uh, but they're not pulling a tape to validate, is that machine right? Are we in the same zip code with the measurement? And it's little things like that, uh, you know, that, that are the most important. You know, do they have the ability to go into a job and they've done hundreds of these, if not thousands of these, and see each job as it's the first time they've ever seen a job. And they've got that much level of curiosity and they're looking for, hey, where can things get off the rail? And let me make sure this is valid. So we start by blueprinting the role is, is what I use the term uh, for each role in our organization. So that's where it all starts. So once we have accomplished that and we look at the role and again, going back to the measure tech, what skills are required in order to be successful, attention to detail, you know, they really care and have a sense of pride about their work. Now, this is what I go start recruiting for. Take the person, take the name, take the face out of the equation. I'm looking for somebody that has demonstrated that they have these particular skills and qualities about them. Uh, and it starts crafting the whole interview process. And we're gonna get to that in a second. I wanna put that on hold, but. Um, and, and I think it's important that a company goes through every single job in their organization and says, what are the top one or two, not more than three uh, skill sets that we're trying to recruit for for the job so that we're stacking the deck for their success in the particular role. OK, so that's where we start. Once we have that, 
Um, we're going to start going out and, and recruiting for those specific skills. Uh, and I always like to say, I like to interview blindfolded, meaning I just want to be able to talk to somebody and I want to be able to uh, dig into their um, past experience. We call it behavioral interviewing uh, because the best predictor of somebody's future is what their past performance has been, right? And, and I don't care about necessarily where they live. I don't care about you know, who they're friends with. I care about, can they do the job? Do they have the skills to do it? Could you imagine taking somebody that's, you know, um, very much uh, an introvert and they hate talking to people, they're not social at all, and we wanna put them in a sales role? You know, what's the likelihood that they're gonna excel and do well at that role? Probably not very good. Um, not to say it can't happen, but, but I really, really want to make sure that we're hitting the mark with the skills first. And then we can talk about, are they a fit for our culture? Are they good people? Those things. But we have to have the skill set first. Uh, there's a gentleman um, that I studied and followed for a very long time. I first got exposed to him, I think, in around 2005, 6, 7, somewhere around there, uh, named Tom Foster. He's a consultant, uh, works out of South Florida, just a fascinating guy. I've actually had him into our our organization several times uh, back when I uh, had a company and then also uh, brought him into a couple industry groups, the Rockheads, for, for instance, we had him in. Uh, he is a disciple and I forget the gentleman's name. Uh, his first name is Jacques and I, and I forget he's uh, had a methodology about the people side of the business and, and just making sure that, you know, we are um, digging deep enough to make sure that the DNA of the person is going to match what we're asking them to do. And we're not asking them to do any, anything, you know, that is so far outside of their um, comfort zone and skill set that, that they're just not going to be successful. But, but Tom opened the, the, the window for me to really see a lot more of, you know, forget about, you know, this desired, you know, purple unicorn. Let's get really focused on what the role is and, and let's go interview and recruit for that. So I'm a huge fan of Tom's uh, and I would highly recommend uh, if you want to know more about him, you can talk offline, but uh, that's where a lot of the content that, that, that I've practiced and preached over the years and, and have had a great success uh, from it. So once we've got the job blueprinted and we've identified exactly what the skill set now We've got to know how do we go find these people, right? So I would say, let's go fish in the most fertile fishing grounds, right? And this statistic may surprise some of you, but if it's true, and I've heard it again and again and again, and, and as of late with our uh, recent pandemic of the last two years, you hear the term, the great resignation, where, where people have really, you know, kind of stopped and, and taken a pause on their lives and said, you know what, I, what I used to settle for in my professional life, I'm not going to do anymore, you know, and it was kind of a reality check for people. And they said, listen, uh, this wake up call, I, I'm going to go do something that I really enjoy doing. I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to, you know, just be all in and, and pour myself into an organization that I don't really care about. Um, so there's a lot of things you have to hit when it comes to those things and the culture side and, and making sure it's a good fit for the company. But what this all boils down to, if the statistics are right, 78%, 7, 8, that's almost 8 out of 10 employees are not satisfied with their current employment situation. That is a staggering number when you start thinking about that, right? 
Uh, and then if you if you go a little bit deeper, you got the people that are not satisfied, but 54% through the Department of Labor statistics tell us are actively looking for uh, new employment. So half of your workforce, if this is true, you know, are actively looking for other jobs. If that's not a slap in the face for you, I don't know what is. Uh, but those are fertile fishing grounds. That's what I mean. So I want to find, you know, competent employees that have the skill sets to do the job that are currently employed. Um, I'm going to be very uh, careful with this. And I want to, you know, say this with a some level of sensitivity. It doesn't mean you can't find good people that are unemployed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we are going to stack the deck and look for um, the most competent people. And those masses are typically employed people that aren't happy with their jobs. That's the pool that I want to go seek and look out, look for. So if 78% are not happy and 54% are already looking, that's a pretty um, big pool of people that I can go uh, poke around, look at and say, hey, listen, I've got this role over here that maybe you're good at. If you're not happy, maybe you want to come over to our side and, and, and test the waters a little bit. So those are the fishing grounds and that's where I'm going to recruit. Um, I see a lot of fabricators and the first question I ask, okay, where are you looking for these people? Well, we go to Craigslist or we go to, uh, we post an ad. You know, it's just, again, like the rest of this industry, I, I get really frustrated sometimes. Stone ages, right? We are so antiquated with some of our practices. Get out of that world and start, you know, innovating a little bit. Let's get a little bit more progressive. Let's go look for the people that could be great fits, but they're not happy. So how do we go do that? How do we go find these people that are employed and not happy? Well, I don't want to go to Craigslist and I don't want to place ads. Uh, I'm going to say, I like to create a, a little, what I call a teaser about what the opportunity is inside of our organization. And it's a very succinct um, statement about what the position is, what we are looking for, maybe a measure tech, somebody that is detailed and very conscientious about the quality of their work, right? And then a specific call to action. You know, if you think, you know, you may be interested in this, here's how you follow up with this and here's how you get in touch with us. And, and I've seen a lot of companies, um, you know, do this with in, in different forms or fashions, but the, the, the one that I see with the highest return on investment is social media, right? So if everybody has, I'm, I'm not a big social media guy, but I will actually, you know, have and, 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 and beg and plead and, and uh, ask everybody around me, hey, can you help me out and, and do this? So we're going to network. We want to blast our entire network. So if everybody has on an average of, you know, a, a hundred social media followers, and we ask everybody to take this little teaser that we came up with, it's one paragraph, it's, hey, this is who we are, this is what we're looking for, and this is the call to action. And we put somewhere in there typically a phrase of, hey, listen, uh, you may not be uh, part of the 78%, you may be happy, but somebody you know likely uh, may be a good fit for this if you wouldn't mind blasting it out to your network. And let's just do the math real quick, right? If we get, if we have 10 employees, we have 100 followers, and those 10 are pushing it to those. And then we're asking in our call to action of whoever receives this message to push it to their network. All of a sudden, we're up to over 100,000 people pretty quickly, right? So now I'm getting my message and announcement, call to action 
letting the world know that, hey, we've got this opportunity and we're really, really serious about it. And, and these are some of the reasons or criteria of why you may want to come uh, at least poke around and look for opportunities to, to, to work for our organization. Uh, and then the last thing we do, so now we've got the job is blueprinted. We know where we're going to go fishing for these people. And we've, we've put a couple lines in the water with how we blast out to the network. Okay, what happens when people start responding, right? We have to have a process around this. So when we start the interview process, it's not, you know, uh, where we're getting caught off guard and people are just showing up and, oh, okay, now I, I forgot the interview was even coming in and, and I'm very unprepared and I'll just start firing questions, right? Um, I like to do the first round of interviews, not even in person. I like to do it over the phone because I don't want to let any bias come in uh, conflict with what we're looking for. All right. I don't want to be wooed. I don't want to be sold. I don't want to fall in love. I don't want, you know, all those things that could happen, right. Uh, of, of why you're going to like somebody or not like somebody, you know, so just take it off the table. Just, just completely remove it. I want to see their past history, what they've done. Uh, and I want to just hear what they've accomplished in, in that. And that's getting uh, towards that behavioral interviewing that we talked about. Again, the biggest predictor of somebody's future is their past, right? So I'm going to dig into that. So a line of questioning, and I'll, I'll keep on track. And when we do the workshop, I'll get into this in a lot more detail. But our line of questioning when we interview is going to be very, very specific around those two skill sets that we're looking at for this particular position. And these are not gonna be things that we come up with on the spot, on the fly. These are things that we have thought about. Uh, we have um, meticulously gone through and said, hey, this particular question will likely uncover what we're looking for. Either people have this or they don't. And you can find out really quick uh, if people are BSing and when we get to the workshop, if I remember when we get there, I'll, I'll share a couple of funny stories about getting real deep into this behavioral interviewing to the point where, you know, you want to talk about awkward and uncomfortable. Uh, it could have been, I wish I had uh, it on video camera, but it was like, it could have been a skit on Saturday Night Live. It was just fantastic because I'm sitting there asking specific questions about, does this person, you know, demonstrate the skills that we're looking for? Can you give me some examples that would, that would prove that? Uh, and, and they just kept going around in a circle. And I said, well, if you can't get any examples, uh, this interview is going to be terminated pretty quick. But uh, if, if I remember, we'll, we'll get into that and have some fun with it. But so the interview is very intentional and it's very, very targeted to the skills we're looking for. Not the person yet, just the skills. And once we know that we have somebody that's, you know, checking the boxes of the skills, they seem to have what we're looking for when it comes to that, you know, we can feel with a, with a high degree of confidence that, you know, this is the person worth pursuing. Now we're gonna start looking about, are they a fit for the organization? Are they a good culture fit? You know, do they have the right values, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, in a nutshell, and I, I, I know that's probably a little bit more of a teaser uh, than we wanted to get into on the podcast, but I would just suggest it and just cannot reiterate enough, the people are everything in our business, right? They are the value proposition, they become it. So. You know, please don't play the victim and bitch about it if you're not willing to, you know, take a little bit of pain, uh, effort, focus, and suffering on the front end to prepare yourself for success. It's just like anything else. If I go into this, you know, blind, well, the likelihood of me coming out on the other end, you know, with, with a high-performing um, employee that I added onto the team, you know, is, is probably not very likely. Uh, I hear a lot of people, you know, they hire somebody because, oh, well, that was the only person that showed up for the interview. 
You know, they've looked presentable. Looked, what does looks have to do with anything based on performance? And, and we get wooed, you know, unfortunately is what it is. But, but uh, the bottom line with the interviewing is we are, we are absolutely dialing into the skills required to do the work uh, and, and set up for success. And I think if a manager, uh, leader, and certainly an owner of a business, that's gotta be a number one priority uh, if they're going to take their department, company uh, to the next level. So that's what we'll be talking about in the workshop. And I believe, Nance, that is what, February 23rd, if I'm correct? February 23rd, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And, uh, you know, Eric, it's funny, as I listen to you talk, I think um, about your fishing. And a lot a lot of what you're talking about sounds a lot like fishing. It you is very much it. so. You're yeah. throwing a line in there, you're trying to catch it, you're not looking at it, you know it, you know what you're looking for, and that's what you're you're sending out the bait for that specific fish, right? Right. Uh, and so when you reel it in, you know what a what a what a happy time that is. Yes. Um, well, um, I know, Nancy, you always bust my chops that you said, you know, you were coming to, into a conversation when we first met, right? When we had a we assembled a little team to go recruit and find our next ISFA director. And by the way, I think we hit a home run, right? So the process, in my opinion, works. I really do think it works. Well, and the, and the fish that you caught here didn't even know you were fishing. Uh, so <laughs> that was fantastic. So good yeah. job. Uh, you know, I think that there's just so much here uh, to, to discuss. And again, if you're a friend of Baca or an ISPA member, be sure to join us on February 23rd, again, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And, you know, thanks again to our friends at Baca for sponsoring this. It's been great. We've gotten a ton of feedback from fabricators all over who have really um, appreciated, you know, the support in the in the different categories that we've come up with, Eric, or I should say you have. Uh, so thanks again. It'll be a fruitful 2022 and we're just getting started. So looking forward to it. Thanks, Nance. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more in-depth viewpoints, gain actionable insights and powerful tools to help you succeed, Subscribe to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. To learn more about ISFA, visit our website at www.isfanow.org.